listening to Radio Tedland. Heading Nowhere, written by Patrick Cullen. Chapter 6. Not to be loved. The farm was in a hilly area, close to the mountains just north of Bern. I travelled across the country by train, getting off in a small town close to the farm, where I'd arranged to be met by the farmer's wife. As I waited outside the station to be picked up, I imagined her to be a beautiful woman, and when she arrived, it turned out I'd got what I wished for. She was blonde and very attractive. A couple of years older than me, she spoke English with a charming Swiss accent that rolled over the words with the same rhythmic variation as the contours of the landscape we drove through in her battered red hatchback. The journey passed with her telling me all about her family and the farm, her two young sons, the thirteen cows, the different fields, and the small area of forest that ran down to the river. It sounded idyllic, especially given her innocently flirtatious manner of talking. When we arrived, I got to meet the farmer. He turned out to be very intense, even while relaxing, serious-minded in contrast to his wife's light-heartedness. I was shown my room and given a guided tour of the farm, and began work the next day. I helped milk the cows by hand. Each of the thirteen cows had its own place in the barn, and there was a head cow that would go in last from the field when it was time for milking, making sure the others had taken the right places and moving them around if necessary. I was spared the early morning milking, so would wake to warm fresh milk at the breakfast table. What milk we didn't use on the farm was delivered to a small dairy a couple of kilometres further up the road, where it was made into yoghurt and cheese. Other than milking, I helped with baling hay, fixing electric fences, and cleaning out the barn. I enjoyed the hard physical work, and the country air was good for me. As well as that, I wasn't drinking, other than a beer or two with the farmer and his wife the occasional evening, and I was starting to look healthy again after the ravages of Tel Aviv and Cyprus. Within weeks, the farmer's wife had fallen in love with me. I was wild, different and free at least when seen from the perspective of a farm on a Swiss hilltop. I had a sense she found me attractive, but the tipping point came when I asked her to cut my hair. She hadn't wanted to at first, as though aware of where it might lead, but I'd asked her again, and she'd finally relented. I enjoyed the sensation of her fingers running through my hair, and as I watched her in the mirror, I could almost see her let go of her inhibitions and give in to desire. Looking at my hair, playing with it, touching it, trying to make it look good as she cut it. Her voice grew huskier, and her touch lingered. Soon she was leaving small notes for me in my room, tenderly drawn pretty flowers, and declarations of love hidden in my wardrobe. We began an innocent, unconsummated affair, exchanging smiles and touching feet under the kitchen table. The family would go on different outings at the weekend, and I was always invited along. On a visit to a butterfly sanctuary, or to some friends of the farmers in their new house on the edge of a forest, the wife and I would find some moments of privacy and hold hands briefly or exchange a quick kiss. Once the farmer's parents visited, they lived in Bhutan, instructing the local population on the benefits of organic agriculture and were on a rare trip back to Switzerland. They'd lived abroad for many years and seemed quite old-fashioned, judging by the way they dressed, and I suspected their morals were similarly outmoded. Together we all travelled to a cattle fair, high in the mountains. 
We saw Swiss farmers in traditional dress, and the farmer's wife bought me a hat. Choosing the hat had caused us to hang back some distance from the others, walking on up ahead. After placing it on my head and adjusting its position, she stole a quick kiss. As she did so, I glanced over her shoulder and caught the eyes of the farmer's mother, looking back to see where we were. Nothing was said about it, at least not in my company, and the farmer, his wife and myself continued to act out the roles we had taken, but with what I imagined was a slightly more mechanical delivery of our lines, and an emphasis on distance now rather than intimacy. I was troubled though, uncomfortable with the situation. I found the wife attractive and was flattered by her advances. At the same time the farm was idyllic, nestling in the hills by the mountains, and as a family they seemed to have everything needed for the perfect life, a life I myself could only have dreamed of. I felt I had brought a poison into their lives, like a devil allowed into paradise. Yet however guilty I felt about the situation, it didn't prevent me from responding favorably to the farmer's wife's advances. Contributing to my guilty conscience, the farmer was good to work with, fair and honest, and he did his share of the heavy lifting. For the most part, he carried on being that way all the time, even after he found out about his wife and me. Though it was never discussed between us, he knew, and I knew he knew. In the barn by the farmhouse where the cows were milked was a large white-tiled washroom with a drain in the middle. This was the room where the milk churns were washed and also where I showered after work. One evening after dinner, the farmer got up and went down from the kitchen to the barn, still with his work clothes on. Half an hour or so later, there was the sound of numerous shots. A short time later, he was back in the farmhouse kitchen. Calmly, he told us that he'd been down to the barn to round up all the young kittens he could find. There'd been many this spring, over twenty, but he'd managed to get them all in a big white canvas sack before he'd taken it to the washroom and shot it with his gun until it no longer moved. He said it was the most humane thing to do, as the kittens would only have starved to death in the winter if they'd made it through the summer and autumn. Once towards the end of my time on the farm, the farmer had hired a machine for the day, a large hydraulic axe that could be attached to the tractor. The day the machine came, heavy clouds pregnant with rain closed in so we could see neither the sky nor the nearby mountains. One after the other, the clouds would burst and spill the cold rain they'd carried in heavy drops that fell down upon us. Occasionally we could hear thunder and sometimes see flashes of lightning. Despite the weather, the job still had to be done. At the bottom of the hill, where the field sloped down to the edge of the forest, rows of tree trunks and thick branches cut to half-meter lengths lay waiting to be split so they could dry and be used as firewood. With no unnecessary talking, our labor was divided. I brought the raw cuts of trunk or branch to the axe. The farmer controlled the buttons sending the blade up and down. The wood I brought would split with a loud crack leaving small manageable pieces that would dry, then be burned to give warmth in the coming winter. By that time, I'd be long gone. Now it was just a matter of days before I left. The rain continued to fall, and the axe went up and down, all day. Each length of trunk I brought him was an apology offered for my actions. Each time the axe went down and split it to pieces, my apology was rejected. After two months, I decided to leave planning to visit a friend from my time in Israel that lived in Denmark. 
At lunch during my last whole day on the farm, the farmer and his wife had asked what I wanted to do my final evening. I said I'd like to spend it with both of them, as I'd enjoyed my time in their company and wanted to remember it in a good way. After dinner, they both went up to put their kids to bed, as usual, before the farmer came down alone, having changed back into his work clothes. He said he'd asked his wife what she wanted for my last evening, and she'd said she wanted to spend it alone with me. As a consequence, he was going out to plough his fields. This despite the fact it would soon be dark. A little later, she came down. At first I was annoyed with her, this hadn't been what I'd wanted. I'd tried to do the right thing by both of them, and I felt let down. We still ended up going to my room though, and my bed, laying down there with still-clothed bodies pressed together on the single mattress. We'd lain like this once before, a rainy day when I'd not worked because of a heavy cold, but we'd been interrupted when we heard her youngest son calling for his mother from the nearby kitchen. Now, both boys were upstairs in bed, and her husband was out in the field ploughing, and still she wouldn't, couldn't, act on her feelings, as she lay there beside me, a mixture of doubt and desire. It turned out, upstairs while getting ready to go out and plough, the farmer had said to his wife she could do anything she wanted with me, as long as she remembered that he loved her. So she remembered, and it stayed an unconsummated love, an unfulfilled desire we had between us, and a well-ploughed field in remembrance, as I was gone the next day. I left with some money in my pocket, wages and a bonus for extra effort and hard work, together with the promise of a job the following year that I don't think any of us really believed I'd be coming back for. I made my way into Bern, and then on to Basel, from where I'd catch a train to Hamburg.